last Sunday in Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, the Medio Persian king Darius organized his newly expanded kingdom into 120 districts. He then delegated the governance of those districts to a group of officials that included the very reputable Daniel. And Daniel quickly lived up to his reputation of being loyal and honest and diligent. And Darius sought to promote him above all the other officials. But when word of Daniel's promotion got out, the other officials were consumed with jealousy. And though they could not stifle his promotion by finding fault in his actions, they sought to stifle his promotion by exposing the fault of his deepest allegiance. And they convinced King Darius to sign into law that under penalty of death, no one was allowed to pray to anyone but Darius for 30 days. And if you were here last week, you remember, after the law had been signed, Daniel knew that obedience to God would require disobedience to the king, and that would mean being thrown into a den of bloodthirsty lions. At the end of last week's passage, or toward the middle, Daniel went to the upper chamber of his house, and in front of the windows that were opened wide toward Jerusalem, he got down on his knees and prayed to God for all to see. And when Daniel's conspiring co-workers reported the matter, Darius was greatly dismayed, and he set himself to revoking the law that he'd been tricked into signing. The only problem, which Daniel's jealous co-workers were all too happy to point out, the only problem is that Medeo-Persian law cannot be revoked once it has been ratified. And so we ended last week, midway through chapter 6, there was nothing that Darius could do, and Daniel would be going to the den of lions. So let's pick up the story at verse 16 of Daniel chapter 6, probably what is one of the most well-known passages in all of Scripture. Let's start at verse 16. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. 
Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Let's say a word of prayer together. Living God who endures forever, thank you for your word. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would instruct our hearts, renew our minds, ready our hands, and remind us to trustingly wait for you even in the darkest darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As usual, there are many ways we could reflect on and respond to this famous passage of Scripture, but I'd like to take a slightly different approach from my usual approach this morning. There's a broadcast television masterpiece changed the landscape of storytelling forever. Maybe you've heard of it, Scooby-Doo. <laughs> In every episode of Scooby-Doo, four friends and a dog follow a trail of evidence that inevitably leads them right to an elusive character who had left behind enough clues, it was impossible not to find him all along. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout every book, every story, every scene, there is a trail of evidence that inevitably leads us right to the Bible's main character, Jesus. The whole Bible sets the stage for and points us to Jesus, the righteous Son of God, crucified and resurrected to save sinners. Follow me for just a second. In Genesis 3, the first Adam is in a garden when he fails the test of God's obedience. But later, in Matthew 26, Jesus is in a garden when he passes God's test of obedience. In Genesis 4, the man Abel is put to death by Cain, and Abel's blood cries out in condemnation of Cain. But later, 
In Matthew 27, the Savior Jesus is put to death by sinners and his blood cries out in redemption of sinners. In Genesis 7, the man Noah preserves God's people by bringing them through a flood of water. But later we're told in 1 Corinthians 3 that the Savior Jesus will preserve God's people by bringing us through a flood of fire. In Genesis 22, Isaac, the only begotten son of Abraham, carries a bundle of wood up the mount where he is nearly sacrificed by his father. But later, in Matthew 27, Jesus, the only begotten son of God, carries a cross of wood up the mount where he is actually sacrificed by his father. In Genesis 47, Joseph, who sits at the right hand of Pharaoh, uses his earthly power to save those who betrayed him. But later in John 6, Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God, uses his heavenly power to save those who betrayed him. In the book of Exodus, Moses mediates the covenant between God and his people of Israel, but later we're told in the book of Hebrews that Jesus mediates a new and better covenant between God and his people from every nation and language of the earth. Look, throughout the Old Testament, I think I'm beating a dead horse here, Throughout the Old Testament, God leaves us a trail of evidence that inevitably leads us right to Jesus. The same is said of Job and Samuel, David, Hosea, Jonah, and more. The whole Bible, for those of you who are journeying together with the Dwell Bible app or journeying through the whole Bible this year, the whole Bible sets the stage for and points us to the righteous Son of God, crucified and resurrected to save sinners. And so it is with Daniel and the den of lions. In verse 16, after Daniel is betrayed by his peers, though he had blamelessly done no wrong, Daniel is lowered into a den of death. And Darius is distraught by the shedding of innocent blood. In verse 17, the den is not only covered with a large stone, it is sealed with Darius's stamp so that no one could move it. In verse 18, Darius returns to his palace with great sorrow. In 19 through 22, at Dawn of a new day, Darius returns to the tomb only to discover with overwhelming gladness that Daniel is alive. In 23 through 27, Daniel's victory over death creates a chain reaction of events. The wicked are judged for their evil, the proud such as Darius, are humbled, and all the peoples of the earth in every nation and language receive word that only the Most High God who conquers death with life is worthy to be praised. Now, I'm not trying to diminish this story's face value. It's powerful. 
But please see with me how this episode of Scripture, infinitely better than any episode of (laughs) Scooby-Doo, Please see with me how this episode of Scripture leaves for us a trail of evidence that inevitably leads us to the main character of God's redemptive story. The blameless Jesus who had done no wrong is betrayed by his peers. He too is lowered later on in the biblical story into a den of death after being crucified as a criminal. And then we're told that a a Roman centurion, not Darius, but this time a Roman centurion is distraught by the shedding of innocent blood. And the tomb is not only covered with another large stone, it is sealed with Pilate's stamp so that no one could move it. And Jesus' friends returned to their homes with great sorrow. At dawn of a new day, Mary Magdalene and others returned to the tomb only to discover with overwhelming gladness that Jesus is alive. And then, Jesus' victory over death creates a stunningly familiar chain reaction of events. The wicked will be judged for their evil. Many who are proud will be humbled. And all the peoples of the earth in every nation and language will know that by the name of Jesus, God has conquered death with life and he alone is worthy to be praised. The similarities between Daniel's story and the gospel story are striking. And if we fail to see Daniel 6, verses 16 through 28, our passage this morning, if we fail to see this passage as a beautiful foreshadowing of the gospel, then we risk drawing from it implications that God never intended. The overarching point of this passage of Scripture is not that all God's people can expect deliverance from every den of lions they face. There are many pastors out there today who say that is the the absolute point of this passage. It's not. It's not. We face many dens of lions, even here in 21st century America, cancer. Motor accidents, injury, persecution, heartache, defeat, and loss. The point of Daniel 6, 16-28 is not to drum up in us this expectation that we will always be delivered from every den of lions we face. I mean, goodness, if we were to keep reading the biblical story, isn't John the Baptist beheaded by Herod Antipas? Isn't the Apostle James executed by Herod Agrippa? Isn't Stephen stoned by the angry mob? Isn't Paul executed by Nero? 
And the list goes on through church history. I mean, Perpetua of Carthage and William Tyndale, John Wycliffe, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Look, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm trying to be Ronnie Realist, if you will. Like here, here's a, these and many more serve to demonstrate that being delivered from the den of lions we face on earth, that is not God's guarantee to us. But the gospel, the gospel to which the story of Daniel points guarantees us a more blessed deliverance than the one we read of here in Daniel 6. And so it'll be a a shorter message today, at least I think. I want to look at basically three passages of scripture that illustrate for us, that explicitly state to us how the gospel assures us of an even more blessed deliverance than the one we've read about right here in Daniel. Firstly, in John 16, 33. If you were here last week, this passage served as our benediction. Jesus looks us in the eye in John 16, 33. And he levels with us when he says this. In the world, you will have tribulation. This is a sobering guarantee that as long as the world remains plagued and poisoned by sin, you and I are going to experience trials and troubles and tragedies. As long as the world remains plagued and poisoned by sin, you and I are going to be faced with disease and destruction and death. These are the heart-wrenching effects of sin. And there is no way for us to avoid them, not in the world's present state. In this world, you will have tribulation. In other words, brother, sister, you will face lions. You will shed tears. And you will groan for resurrection with every fiber of your being. But as you do, Jesus Adds in the second half of John 16, 33, as you face these trials, take heart. Take heart. Take courage. Take a mysterious, hopeful cheer. Because, Jesus says, I have already overcome the world. I have overcome the world. See with me that what Jesus is getting at here, Jesus has nullified the finality of earthly death. Jesus has drawn a line in the sand that trial and tragedy and disease and destruction cannot cross. By laying down his life unto death and by raising it up in triumph over death, 
Jesus has done so as the forerunner for all God's people who believe and confess he is the son of God whose victory over death is our victory over death. The gospel to which the story of Daniel points us This gospel assures us of a more blessed deliverance. And Daniel himself would agree. After all, after Daniel was delivered from the den of lions, he lived a short while longer. And then he died an exile hundreds of miles away from his home. Praise God that we have the assurance of a better deliverance. Secondly, in Romans 8, 28, it's probably written on the back of your eyelids. You probably memorized this. We're given a most precious promise in Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for the good of his people. For those who love him and are called according to his purpose, God works all things together somehow for good, for their good. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword, somehow our great all-knowing, all-seeing, all-present, all-wise and all-powerful God works these things together for our good. In the moment of our suffering, in the very moment of it, it's not always helpful to have a brother or sister come to you and say, well, God will work it out for, you know, for good. Unfortunately, that happens. It's true But in the moment of our suffering, in the moment of the cancer diagnosis, in the moment of loss or injury or disappointment, we can and should mourn. And we can and should mourn with those who mourn and just sit in it. The effects of sin are painful. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon once preached. And he preached it to those who are in a moment of suffering. And he said this, when you can't see God's hand, trust his heart. In the moment when you can't see how God is writing all of this for good, in the moment when you can't see his hand penning the story, trust his heart. Trust his heart. Because with our God, there is always more going on than meets the eye. Always. A story many of you have heard and know well. On January 8, 1956, Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and three other men were killed by the very Ecuadorian Indians they were trying to reach with the hope of Christ. 
It was horrible. It was painful. It didn't make sense. How could God possibly bring good from such a tragedy before the Alka Indians had even responded to the gospel? These men were killed. Well, there's always more going on than meets the eye because it was through the sacrificial death, the laying down of their lives of Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and the others. It was through that and it was through the resilient love of the wives and children they left behind. It was through those things that the Ecuadorian tribe came to hear and know and believe and surrender their lives to Christ. In fact, a while later, the warrior who was responsible for killing Nate Saint ended up baptizing Nate's oldest son, Steve, in the faith. The effects of sin and brokenness in this world are painful but when we can't see God's hand, we must trust God's heart because with our God, there is always more going on than meets the eye. The gospel to which the story of Daniel points us assures us of a more blessed deliverance. Thirdly, in John 11, verse 25, so Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, are grieving the death of Lazarus. They're grieving. They're hurting. I mean, Jesus joins them in their mourning. It's the shortest verse in all scripture. Jesus wept with them. But then to Martha, who is grieving the death of her brother Lazarus, Jesus says something so beautiful and profound and comforting. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they will die, oh, they will live. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this, family? In the midst of lions, in the midst of cancer and injury and persecution and heartache and defeat and loss, do you believe this? Don't we know that the moment when God's people close their eyes in death, they will be welcomed into the fullness of joy in the presence of Christ and it will never end. It will never end. Don't you know that in the blink of an eye, heaven 
will be enjoined with a resurrected earth and God's people will receive glorified bodies free from all defects, all deformities, all diseases, all deafness. And don't we know that we will be reunited with believing parents and children and brothers and sisters and friends? Don't we know that we will raise a glass of new wine at the banquet of the Lamb with His Majesty, King Jesus, and all the other heroes of our faith? Don't we know that we will work and we will play We will rest and we will laugh together. We'll sing, we'll dance, we'll eat. We will be merry with the exuberant and worshipful joy of Christ as we tell stories of all the tears Jesus has wiped from our faces. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Whoever believes in me, though they die, Oh, they will live. Do you believe this? The gospel to which the story of Daniel points us, to which every story of scripture points us, the gospel assures us of a more blessed deliverance than being temporarily snatched from the den of lions. Do you believe this? I would urge you to believe this and trust Christ. Let's pray together and then we'll sing together. Father, there is always more going on than meets our eyes. You are sovereign. You are good. You are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. You have told us, Jesus, that we will have tribulation and trial, tragedy, but that we can take heart because you have emptied all of those things of their finality. You've drawn a line, a line in the sand over which none of those things can cross and we can take shelter in that promise. We can await you in the darkness we face. Help us. Help us to trust this, to believe this with every fiber of our being that we would walk through this life even as danger looms on the horizon, that we would walk with the confidence of Christ because he meant what he said. It is finished and there is now nothing that death, destruction, and disease can do to us beyond the temporary closing of our eyes and our immediate presence with you in eternal, restful, worshipful joy. Help us to believe this and thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.